Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 507. Yeah, I'd, um, never give up and learn by your mistakes. Last one's really important. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Jim Morris, all the way from the United Kingdom. Jim, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Yeah, I'm strapped in and raring to go. All right, cool. Great to have you here. And we've got our fire systems in place just in case I do something a little crazy here, but I promise I'll uh, I'll keep the car on the road for you. Yeah, I've taken the pin out, so we're all safe. Yes, I got into a race once and forgot to pull that pin, and I got into my first lap, and I went, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and you were, you'd be proud of me. I actually pulled off the track when I came back around, had him pull the pin, and went back out. I sacrificed wow. my race. Well, better than getting burnt, that's for sure. True, so, yeah. very true. Jim Moore, and I'll explain to our listeners now what we're talking about here with fire systems. They're all shaking their heads going, what are these guys talking about? Jim Morris is the managing director of Lifeline Fire and Safety Systems, founded in 1994, located in Coventry, England. They are the leading manufacturer of fire suppression and safety equipment in the motorsport and defense sectors. He's also the managing director of the Old Hall Performance, a European distribution business specializing in high-performance U.S. brands including Redline, Synthetic Oil, Flowmaster, Heat Shield, Max Custom Tie Downs, Gold Plug, BSCI Seating, and many more. I recognize some of those names. I've had some of the CEOs of those companies here on Cars Jazz Guests. He's the chairman of the Motorsports Industry Association and the governor of the Prior School. Jim's also an amateur racer, an avid automotive enthusiast to say the least, and a collector. Jim, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about your career, your business, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Yeah, sure, Mark. Well, thank you very much for having me on your show. This is a real honor. So You're thank welcome. You. I was really fortunate. I was born into a motorsport family, so I've grown up around cars since I can remember. And I also lived in this very strange, peculiar little village that had four or five you know, families that were heavily into the motorsport, one of them being one of your guests only a few weeks ago, Charlie Poston. So ah, I've just yes. grown up around cars. And I spent most of my childhood traveling around the, co- traveling around the country in an old converted coach, which my father carried his race cars in to places like Brands Hatch, Neston, Thruxton, Donington Park, Croft, Cadwell, 
and some circuits that just don't even exist anymore. Wow. I was very fortunate. I did a little bit of karting when I was younger. Perhaps size was always my problem, but I, I raced 100cc karts in, um, in local regional championships and in Super 1 nationally. And then when I was a little bit older, I, um, I raced on the circuits in production saloons in a, in a Mark II Golf. And that was always support cars from great races like BTCC and Formula 3. And I always thought I was going to make a career out of being a driver, like a lot of your guests, I'm sure. I was very fortunate. I had a, a really good mentor in my life, a guy called John Maguire. And John used to um, look after my father's cars, and I learned so much from that man. And I worked part-time as effectively a gopher and a, and a tire polisher um, in the BTCC British F3. But just taking my career back, I, I graduated from Coventry Lanchester Polytechnic um, in industrial design and automotive. I wanted to work with cars, wanted to work with race cars. But academically, I, I wasn't brilliant. But I was a good thinker. I could think on my feet, and I was a good problem solver. And... Um, during that degree course, the third year was what we call a sandwich course in the UK. And I went to go and work for a company called SPA Design, who probably quite well known in America called SPA Technique, based in Indianapolis. Yes. And working at SPA and my sandwich year luckily led me to full-time employment with them. That very quickly led me to realize that there were some really good opportunities in motorsport and automotive engineering, not necessarily holding a steering wheel. I worked on some really interesting products. I worked on some of their instrument range, fabricated parts, one of the most exciting projects I did with them was Penske dampers. Again, a great American product. Yeah. But Penske were really known for, you know, sort of straightforward dampers used on Formula cars. And my background, I developed that product into a strut, into a McPherson strut. Oh, wow. Um, along with Penske. And we ran that in the BTCC with the works Nissans back in the early 90s and had great success. Now, Penske shock absorbers are the only shock absorber used in BTCC here in the UK. So mm. there's a little bit of legacy there. Yeah. The fire system bit really came by accident. That was a real chance encounter. And it was a chance encounter with a quite a well-known lady called Angie Furman. And Angie Furman was the wife of a guy called Ralph Furman, um, founder of Van Diemen Cars, one of the most prolific race car constructors in the world. Oh, yeah. And Angie was trying to make her own fire system. They're a bit of a bane of her life. You know, they were manufacturing 200 cars a year. So they would try and make as many parts as they could for themselves. But they couldn't make fire systems. And um, I... Went along there, met Angie. She gave me all these parts and drawings and bits and pieces. We can't do this. Can, can you sort this out? So that's how I ended up doing the fire system bit. And, the, and my interest in safety was, pardon the pun, was really ignited. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I did that for SPA for a number of years and developed their entire range of fire suppression systems for them. Wow. But as it is, you get a little bit older. You start to realize that maybe I can do this for myself. And I was quite driven, so and with the support of my parents, obviously, because I, I needed support around me, I, I, I broke away. Um, and there is a little bit of a funny story to that, because Lifeline, my business, actually was in existence before I, I, I took it over. And they were based on the Isle of Wight, which is a little island off the south coast here in the UK. Mm -hmm. They got into financial difficulties and being located where they were for various different reasons. The company went bust. Mm. And I was sent a fax in those days. No email, no nothing like that. <laughs> yep. I was sent a fax by a guy called John Minshaw. And John Minshaw was the owner of a company called Demon Tweaks, probably the biggest oh, yeah. outfitter of you know racing hard parts and soft parts here in, in the UK and probably Europe. Yep. And it was the auctioneer's notice for Lifeline. And that was my signal. Wow. So I went off to the Isle of Wight with my dad. And I was probably the only person qualified in, in the country who knew anything about motorsport fire suppression and bought it lock, stock and barrel. Just wow. the asset and the name. There wasn't much there and they'd done a lot of damage to the name. 
So I bought it all back in a number of lorries and um, and set it up in the back of a friend's turkey shed in Bortle Common. <laughs> and um, what a cool story! And um, you know that was sort of twenty three years ago, and you know over that sort of twenty two years with. You know, the company's grown. We're now 26, 27 people strong. Mm-hmm. We've supplied just about every major global racing and rally championship you can think of. Formula One, prototype world rally, touring cars, indie cars. And, you know, my products have carried many world champions. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been a great experience. Ah, what a story. In 97, we sort of diversified into defense, which has really seen some growth in the business. And that's been really exciting. Mm-hmm. And we're now one of the UK leading suppliers into the defense sector. Only last year, we opened a facility for our motorsport in North America, in Virginia, with another guest of yours, James Clay, yes. from Bimmer World. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's going exceedingly well at the moment. That We're really surprised at how well um, the North American market is receiving our product. Uh, so, What a wonderful entrepreneurial story. I want to <laughs> thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, James said you'd be an excellent guest, as did Charlie. So I'm so happy we get to talk here. And we're going to learn a lot more about you as we move through the questions. But first… Okay. I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. It's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Jim, take the wheel. Well, I have two, actually. And my first one is one that harks back to my childhood, which is cleanliness is next to godliness. <laughs> yes, and, I like um, that. And that, that, that quote was given to me by a chap called Pete Starley. Um, Pete Starley's great-grandfather was the inventor of the modern bicycle here in Coventry. Oh, wow. And um, I never understood that quote when I was a kid. I didn't get it. But as I've grown up, I've evolved. I understand it. It's it's about order. It's about keeping everything clean, tidy in your mind, in your day-to-day work. Mm -hmm. Attention to detail. And I find people, you know, like Ron Dennis at McLaren, I find him quite inspirational because of the way that he has everything in order. Presentation is of paramount importance. And I really try and live by that ethos. And my second one is um, work hard, play hard. Uh Yes. (laughs) And that comes from my dad. And, you know, the hard work allows me to, you know, to race and indulge in my passion for cars and bikes as well, which is my play hard. Yeah, absolutely. Two great quotes, especially for a guy who loves to uh, take some downtime, if you will, out on the track and have some fun and tie your business and your passion for cars into your career, your life, your vocation, all those different aspects. But I love both those quotes. They're great quotes. Would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? I'd like for you to go back in time a bit. And you grew up in this family around cars. So you're probably kind of born with motor oil in your veins a little bit here, but when did it all start? Well, funnily enough, my dad's not very mechanically minded. He was a very good driver, but not very good with the spanners. So we always had people around the house. And my grandfather was an amazing tinkerer. He would fix and I would watch and I would help. And that's probably what kicked me off. Mm. But there are two or three other things that really did. In about 1974, dad effectively rented the garage to um, a guy called Chris Greville Smith, who was one of the chief designers at, at Rover, Austin Rover in those days. Wow. And he built, a, he built a clubman's car, which is a club car here in the UK, front engine sports car, um, open wheel with wings. And as a kid, I couldn't understand how do you build a car? You build a house with bricks and you in mortar and slate and windows, but how do you build a car? And I saw these materials, there was aluminiums and steels and fiberglass and parts coming in, and I found that really, really inspirational. Then when I was about 11 years old, going back to this chap, Pete Starley, who used to build my dad's engines, Pete actually showed me how to build an engine, and I'll never forget that, which is kind of where the quote came from as well. Right. And we pulled the engine apart and put all the bits in a bin, and I couldn't understand how do you know all the bits go back together, where do they go? So that kind of, that was another link. And then the final one was really being taught by John Maguire. 
mm. um, when I was about 15, 16. Yeah. Um, you know, he taught me to fabricate, taught me to use lathe, taught me to use a miller. And I just knew I just wanted to be around that and it, it, and those guys around cars. And that, that's where I wanted to be. Yeah. Wow. What a wonderful childhood. Sounds like a dream come true for all of us <laughs> car fanatics out there listening to this story. So, Jim, yeah. take us down some roads you've driven that have been a little rough, a little dirty, a little bumpy. Share with us a huge challenge, a, or even better, a great failure that you faced along the way in your career. But the most important part of this, as always, is what did it teach you, and how did you move forward from that? I think the toughest journey we've sort of in business, in work, has been quite recently, and that was my company's diversification in defense, which is, you know, it's so far removed from the motorsport environment of fast moving, fast acting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found it an incredibly different way to work and I couldn't comprehend it because they just don't do it now. They, they, they wait on decisions. Yep. And of course the management that goes behind it, the quality paperwork, etc. And I, there were many times that I was, I was so close to pulling the plug on it because mm-hmm. I just didn't think we were up to it. But, you know, some really difficult meetings and we were on the back foot, but we sort of battled through that. And, you know, we've come from being this little minnow into, into being one of the sort of, you know, the number one places for the UK MLE to go for to fire suppression in their vehicles. Yeah, you know, it's tremendous. And I assume what you're talking about there is the government bureaucracy behind working with a small company. You're working with a massive entity with all these rules and regulations and people that can't make decisions because they've got to keep going up and down the ladder. Is that where the challenge came from? Yeah, the challenge comes from that. And then also from the, the other thing I will do is that, you know, trying to compare most sport with defense is that, you know, they're both still performance vehicles. A racing car might be going down the Molson straight at 300 kilometers an hour. A defense vehicle is still a performance vehicle, albeit not a fast one. It's right. still there to do a very important job in extreme environmental um, you know, conditions. Right. But they don't have the ability to pull in the pits. Yes. Yeah, they've got to stay in the stay in the fight, if you will. And uh, Correct. when uh, fire is burning and things are blowing up around them and all the challenges that happen in those situations, very reassuring to know they've got a safety net from your company, just like yeah. us drivers have that safety net in case, uh, heaven forbid, a fire breaks out in the vehicle and uh, you're still strapped in and you need to pull that red little bar that will save your life. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, brilliant way to diversify your business. I think that's really fascinating and great and, uh, of course, makes you and your teammates feel really good about protecting people in dire situations. So, awesome. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a story. When you had a career aha moment, a time when those headlights come on and illuminate your way for a new direction that you had for your business and tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success. That would have been in the third year of my degree course. You know, as I said earlier on in my intro, academically I wasn't very good, but I, I was a problem solver and I could, you know, I could think on my feet. And during that third year work placement working for SPA, I, I was working for a guy called Mick Bennett. Mick was an amazing character. He worked in motorsport for a long, long time. He'd also worked in the bike industry, you know, for, he'd worked for BSA. And he taught me how to design, how to manufacture, how to manufacture in quantity, how to manufacture cost-effectively, how to market, how to sell, how to find customers. All these tools he gave me, and and they came really easily to me. And actually then I realized that actually I didn't have to be academically brilliant to to carve a niche for myself. And I found, you know, Mick's input really inspirational into what I did. I have a a lot to thank for Mick Bennett. And and I got such a kick out of seeing, you know, whether it was a Penske strut or a oil pressure gauge or a fire extinguisher sitting in a race car in the paddock that I knew that I'd built 
and I'd designed and I'd sold. Yeah. And that was kind of the moment that I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to go and do. You know, there's a golden, a lot of golden nuggets you're dropping here today for our listeners. But the key one that keeps coming back to, you've been wise enough to surround yourself with quality people. When you were young, it just happened. They came to your home. Your father brought them in. But you, I think you were learning that lesson early on is get around people that know more than you do, that they can teach you those mentors, those skilled people. And uh, once again, there's a great example that having the right people around you can help you move forward and succeed. So awesome, awesome value bomb, as I say here. Now, how about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many, but is there one in particular that stands out for you? I couldn't put one down. I had to put two down, I'm afraid. So <laughs> that's, um, that's okay. The, the, the first one is, uh, is my chairmanship of the MIA, the Most Sport Industry Association. I'm the fourth ever chairman of the MIA. And the MIA is the sort of global trade body for the motorsport industry, the parts industry. Mm-hmm. And I work with some some really incredible people from, you know, huge companies, companies like Extract, Ricardo, Alcon, big players in the motorsport industry. And, you know, I work with these people. I'm working with them this afternoon, working on some strategy work. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing opportunity for me. This guy that makes fire extinguishers actually is now the chairman of this huge global trade body. So that's one. Yes. The other one goes back to my diversification work really and this was an incident that happened in um, March 2012 in Afghanistan which was actually the UK's single biggest loss of troops in a warrior tank Mm. which is quite an old tank that we have here and we lost six guys in a tank which caught fire we as a company developed a fire suppression system for that for that platform from the initial telephone call from BAE Systems, who were the prime contractor, to supplying goods in theatre was less than six months. Oh, wow. And the amount of testing and validation that we did in that six months was incredible. So I was incredibly proud of my team at Lifeline, incredibly proud of the guys at BAE that supported us all the way through, because we were a little company, remember? Yes. And to the point that BAE, that team actually won the Chairman's Award. So in terms of a career-defining moment, that's got to be it really special moment that actually we knew we'd made a difference. Oh, yes. Well, congratulations to you and your team. Absolutely brilliant. Wonderful, wonderful story. How many tanks is your system in now? So that UOR was for 100 tanks. Wow. Those are the ones out in theater. Now we're looking at the update on the rest of the battalion. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we had to do live fire trials in front of the battalion to give them the confidence that what we'd done was okay. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, Just incredible. Helping, saving lives. Fantastic. Let's have a little fun here and go back in time and talk about your first, and I'm going to emphasize that word first, really special car. Maybe share a memory you have of that vehicle. Okay. Yeah, that's easy. It's it's my first car, and that was a (laughs) 1973 1300 Volkswagen Beetle or a bug. A bug, the little bug, yeah. All my friends wanted minis and stuff like that, but I wanted a Beetle. That Mm -hmm. was... I just, you know, I really wanted a bathtub Porsche, but there was no way I was going to fall one of those. Yeah, I wanted one of those too. <laughs> Still do. Yeah. And that car just taught me loads. It taught me about car maintenance, repairing, modifying, making it look good, and more importantly, a little bit of car control as well, right. which was um, on, you know, on the back country lanes around Borsal Common. I'd love to buy that car back now if I could find it. It's funny. My guest that I have on tomorrow is, we talked about 
Volkswagens, and he talked about uh, working on those when he was a kid. I had a Carmen Ghia when I was in high school, so I'd pull that engine out, drop it on a skateboard, roll it out, work on it, put it back in. And uh, there's so much fun to work on, pretty easy to work on. You felt like you'd achieve something after you mm. got some oil under your fingernails, but... Uh, yeah, and uh, my neighbor across the street, Bruce, has a 57 bug that I sit here and look out the window, and about once or twice a week, he pulls that car out and goes down the road in it, and a beautiful <laughs> little car. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Shout cool. out to Bruce there. Well, how about the vehicle that got away? You know, we all have those cars that we sell, and later on, maybe the moment we sell them, we're crying a little bit, but is there one in particular that you wish you could have back in your garage? Is it that VW? Yeah. Is there another one? No, no, that would be one that I'd like, but there's another one which is quite a funny story, which actually is not that exciting, and it was a, a 1989 Porsche 944 2.7. Oh, cool. And I bought this on an absolute punt, and it was because I was, it was 2011, it was the first year I was doing Goodwood with the Lotus 23. Oh. And I wanted to go into some track days at Lotus. You know, running a historic cars quite expensive. Yes. So I thought that'd be a good cheap way. And I saw this car for sale on Car and Classic, and it was a, I think, a thousand pounds or something. It was fairly cheap. And I went and saw it, and there was just the car wasn't quite as he described it, but it was nearly there. And there was you just got one of those feelings that actually this is going to be all right, but I'm going to buy this as cheaply as I can. I bought that car for four hundred pounds. Oh goodness! <laughs> and took it away. Four hundred, you said. Four hundred pounds. Oh wow! Did a couple of jobs to it. It, it was it, it sailed for an MOT, bled the clutch, um, sorted the brake pads, and that was it. And then I used that car for a year, turning and fro from work. I did track days in that car at Goodwood, Alton Park, Croft. My wife would do track days in it in the evenings at Silverstone, which is only a few miles up the road from here. And I never forget, I remember her entering cops backwards in it. Uh-oh. You just couldn't destroy the car. It was fantastic. Yet, you could drive to the shops in it. You could throw your shopping in the back. We could put the dogs in. And then we'd drive up to Croft and do a track day down to Goodwood. It was a great car. And I sold it for a profit. And I wished I kept it because, actually, I think we still have a lot of fun with that car. Yeah, sounds like you did. Absolutely. I love the story about your wife going into cops back. What a skill set she has. <laughs> Very nice. Now, how about current projects and looking ahead for your business? What are you guys working on now that really has you excited and fired up? Well, I think it's really important to have projects. They keep your creativity. So Lifeline is just one great big project. It's been a 22-year project, and it'll keep evolving. So at the moment, one of my key drivers is, is sort of nurturing the young talent within the business. I've got, you know, a handful of really young kids that are straight out of university that I've identified this something with them and, and I want them to have a good career in the most sport industry. So that, so nurturing that talent is really important to me. Nice. With, with Old Hall, with OHP, the other business, then, you know, we're bringing in Redline and stuff like that. We've just, signed up one of the biggest um, UK distribution networks with Redline, which is your car parts here in the UK. It's just growing and evolving that business as well. I find that challenging. It's a very different business for me. It's not manufacturing, it's distribution. Mm-hmm. And then personally, always have projects. So at the moment, I'm, um, I'm partway through rebuilding um, uh, Mark II Sirocco Group 1 race car, which was um, another works car, sister car to my father's car, yeah. driven by a guy called Tony Lanfranchi. And then finally, I'm having a little autocycle, a motorbican autocycle, which is a little French motorcycle. But I'm doing this against all of my instincts. It's <laughs> the thing is beautiful in its 1932, and it's we're going to keep it as it was, but mechanically make it perfect, but uh-huh. keep. 
the look as it f- came out the barn in France four or five years ago. Oh wow! And I'm kind of I'm fighting my conscience with that one because I want to make it all nice and shiny, and and the guys are telling me no, you can't do that. This is too beautiful. So they're cleaning it with WD-40 and bringing the pinstriping back. Right. So I'm. That'll be very interesting to see what that's like. You know, what you need to do is go back and listen to one of my past guests talks about preservation class, and that's Peter Hageman. He's a judge at Pebble Beach. He's a big proponent of the preservation class in cars, and he gave a great talk here on Cars Yeah about why it's so important to preserve cars and what it means. And and I get where you're coming from. I want things to be perfect. I always want to shine them up and restore them. And he has a whole different perspective that even helped me reevaluate things. So give that show a listen. I think you'll enjoy listening to Peter Hageman for sure. His son Paul was on the show as well. Uh, Both of them are – I've known Paul since he was a little boy. Uh, They're both uh, consummate car guys for sure. Now here's a very introspective question for you. If you were a car – what kind of car would you be and why? Well, I think I'd probably drive the car that I am. So I drive a, a thing called a Nissan Navara. I don't know if you have that in America. So that's a, uh, so a Nissan Navara is a truck. It's a pickup truck. And it's, it's versatile. I can tow my trailer with it. I can go to a business meeting in it. I can take the family out in it. I can go off-road. I can go down the motorway at 90 miles an hour in it. So it's, it's versatile. It's dependable. And it's pretty reliable, touch wood. I like a touch wood. I like that saying for sure. Yeah, I had Adrian Hamilton on the show, and I remember him giving me the book that his father wrote, Duncan Hamilton, a touch wood, um, about racing. So back when I visited him many years ago over there in the UK. I like that answer. Very good answer there. Well, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Hey, Cars Yeah listeners, I have a question. What's the best way to protect your vehicle? both the exterior and the interior. It's with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's the fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft is the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers, and they are crafted to fit like a custom suit, with over 80,000 patterns available. And they're made in the USA. But Covercraft is much more than car covers. Their vehicle protection system protects your cars, motorcycles, watercrafts, and RVs, exteriors from the elements, and the interiors from the wear and tear of daily life. Car covers, front end masks, dash covers, seat covers, floor mats, and much, much more. Covercraft offers you a full array of custom accessories made specifically for and styled to complement and protect your special vehicle. Covercraft is the right choice. I use them on all my vehicles, and your special vehicles will love them too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. And you can get free shipping when you use the code at checkout, CARSYEAH. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. 
All right, Jim, we are back, and we're entering the last lap. You're a racer. You know what that means. The white flag is out. Time to put our foot into it, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Go for it. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? 75% of the race is one in the workshop. (laughs) Yes, being prepared, most definitely. But that applies to everything in life. Uh, Yes, that as well, absolutely. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? Yeah, planning and attention to detail. There it is again. Yep. Yep. Absolutely imperative. Mm. Do you have a resource that you think the Car Show listeners would really enjoy? I have a few. One of my favorite websites is a is a, a UK based one which is called Car and Classic, and that's a great you know that's a sales site. But mm. I love going through that, learning about the market. I'm afraid one of my favorite places is eBay. I love going <laughs> yeah. through eBay for parts. Dangerous Not, place. <laughs> it's a dangerous place. Um, there's another UK website, Race Cars Direct. Ah which, you know, is all the way, you know, secondhand new race cars for sale. Yeah. And then the Nostalgia Forum on autosport.com. Um, uh, yeah. That's all about motorsport history. Some really good journalists writing on there, and you can get some really good snippets on, you know, motorsport past. Excellent. And then another one that I'm sort of being taught from the younger kids at work is, is, is using Google and YouTube for research, mm. which is really interesting, and I find that quite inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. You know, YouTube, I've learned more on YouTube tutorials than I can tell you. When I started podcasting, I learned how to record on YouTube. I've learned how to fix things around my house and on cars that I couldn't quite figure out. Quick, easy, people just post stuff up there. You have to kind of vet it a little bit because sometimes you might get advice that isn't quite right, but uh, usually you can tell once you jump on. So great resources. I love all those. And how about a book? Is there a book that you've read recently that the Car Show listeners should read as well? Yeah, um, and it's a real strange one, this is. So um, this is a book written in 1949. Oh, wow. By a guy called John Bolster, who was a, a prominent UK um, automotive and motorsport journalist. And this book's titled Specials. And this is all about the post-war years and the amazing cars that were sort of home-built and then raced, you know, raced or hill-climbed or trialed. And those guys were so innovative. You know, they would take bits of car and bits of aeroplane and whatever scrap they could to make these incredible machines. So that's... That's an amazing book. And the other one, and I've been very lucky to meet the author, is um, is Villeneuve by Gerald Donaldson. Oh, yeah. Awesome. You know, that first book is uh, akin to what was happening here in the United States after the war with the hot rod builders. Yep. The guys who go to Bonneville that would use uh, belly tanks off uh, aircraft and build hot rods and set land speed records. Uh, it was happening all over the world. Exactly the same. Just they were so resourceful. Awesome. Great. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources on Jim's show notes page at carsyad.com slash Jim Morris. And there's another great place on the Cars Yad website called Guest Recommended Books where Jim's book and all the past 506 other guest books are listed for quick, easy links to buy. I'll have to get my hands on both those books. So Jim, this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car, I'll include collector race car in your garage since I know you love to finish race. Money's no object. I'll buy you whatever you'd like. I'll ship it to you over there across the big pond so you can have some fun with this thing. What would that vehicle be and more importantly, why? 
Hey, Mark, you can probably see the picture behind me on the wall. I can. Um, yes, I'm it's, a... <laughs> it's, it's a no-brainer. 917 Porsche, and I'm not fussy if it's a K or an L or any of the 11 variants <laughs> they did. It is just the most beautiful, iconic sports car in the world. Yeah. Um, and I love the whole story of, you know, the homologation with the CSI and them not being prepared for the visit. The aluminium space frame filled full of argon with the pressure gauge. Uh. Just the way a racing car should be. Yes, yes. You know, I had the distinct pleasure of being at Rensport here last year in the, in the United States down at Laguna Seca, and they had all those 917s parked there, and oh, just magnificent. Well, you know, there's a chap real near you. I just m- I mentioned him earlier, Adrian Hamilton, who uh, I think could help me get some his hands on a car for you, so I'm sure he'll be very happy okay. when I ring I'll him up. Him ring. I'll yeah. ring him up and say, hey, I need you to ship a 917 to Jim. Find him something special. I'm sure he'll have a big smile on his face, and by bank account, we'll have a big sucking sound coming out of it <laughs> for sure, but uh, I'd be happy. That's uh, one of my favorite cars as well, so great choice. Jim, you've taken me on an awesome ride today, a safe ride with fire systems on board. I like that. I've really enjoyed your stories and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and with the Cars Yacht listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down the racetrack in that Porsche 917? Yeah, um, never give up and learn by your mistakes. Brilliant. Last one's really important. Ah, yes, yes. Pay attention to what went wrong. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your companies? Well, um, yeah, it's at lifelinefire.co.uk or lifelinefire.com. And then there's oldhallperformance.com. And then if you want an overview of the, you know, the global motorsport industry, it's www.the-mia.com. Brilliant. Perfect. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to all these great resources and websites on Jim's show notes page at carsyad.com. Just type Jim in the search bar. That page will pop up. I encourage you to check out his site, check out what he's doing. Some really great parts now that you're over here in the U.S. as well. Uh, all of us over here love to race and protect our cars. I even had a street car that I put a fire system in because it was, a, well, it was a 550 Spider, but it was a Beck Spider. So it was a replica okay. of that great car. And the challenge was the rear bonnet, the clamshell bonnet that opened up, had leather straps. And I always thought, you know, if that old engine ever caught on fire, by the time I got those straps undone, and open it up, and gra- the car could be gone. So uh, I put a fire system in, and uh, I felt a lot safer driving around in that thing. So uh, very cool. In fact, it was your Good. system that was in the car. Oh, so even Good. better. Yeah. Jim, thanks again for being so generous with your time and your expertise. Well, thank you for having me. You're welcome. It's been a great joy, and I appreciate you sharing your experiences and your knowledge with our listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Hey, Mark, thank you so much for having me on Cars Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.